0: Why did the PowerPoint presenter cross the road? I don't know. To get to the other slide. (laughs) As soon as I said, I don't know, I was like, I know this one, (laughs) I I know this one. I have another one for you. Uh, What's black and white and red all over? My balance sheet.
1: (laughs) Zach Grosser didn't set out to be the person startups turned to, to help them raise money. He worked at the Apple store, training people on keynote. And that landed him at Square, where he became their first in-house presentation designer. And from there, his reputation grew and grew. Zach's industry presentation design has become one of the most important parts of the fundraising process in recent years. SpaceX, Nextdoor, Square, Figma, and even myself, we've all hired Zach. It's been a weird year for fundraising in a bunch of ways. And Zach's had a front row ticket to all the industry's changes. All of this, and much more in today's interview. Let's get into it. Yeah, really excited about today's conversation. So, you know, maybe maybe just to
0: start, tell us a a little bit about Zock Studios. Sure, yeah. So Zock Studios, we're a presentation design agency. Um, We focus on company storytelling, and uh, investor fundraising. So if uh, you know, most of our clients are anywhere from like pre-seed through series B approximately, we do work with some later stage companies as well. For the fundraising, usually companies a little smaller size need some help to do that fundraising. Uh, and we come in, we are usually the first people outside of their company, their advisor group, the people that are already like intimately familiar with the product and story. We're the first people that come in we you know have our outside perspective for the first time we uh help them tell their story better um obviously most founders know how to tell their story really well but for this specific audience we work with vcs all the time and angel investors so we help them you know sort of cater their story a little bit better to the fundraising audience and then we do presentation design. So we'll start with visual design, either matching their brand guidelines or with a lot of these pre-seed companies sort of starting from scratch, helping them build their brand with them. And uh, and usually on a short timeline. So, you know, everybody is like, oh, oh, an investor wants to talk to me this week. Okay. And so that's like a lot of the places where we start. Uh, yeah. I, uh, when
1: when do you need this? Uh, I, I need this Friday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, next month. Exactly you have had tremendous success, you know, at least in terms of, you know, the companies you've worked with have raised billions of dollars. Um, And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how did you start Zach Studios?
0: Yeah, so um, uh, I have a background in presentation design from I worked at the Apple store in about 10 years ago. And part of my role was teaching keynote. And never did I think that Learning and then teaching Keynote from Apple was going to be part of my career path at all. And then I, you know, I feel really privileged. I got uh, my senior manager left Apple and went to Square. And then like a couple months later, I got the like Facebook DM of like, hey, why don't you, you know, come check it out? And I took a role at Square uh, on the food team. So I was between every employee and lunch, we would swipe credit cards, and, you know, using beta versions of Square's software. And then I'd write bug reports and fix the kegerator and pour champagne when someone on the design team was leaving or got promoted. That was like the proximity to the design team that I had. And then the presentation designer left. And I was like, I would have one semester of design from university. I know how to teach Keynote, which is part of the job. You're like, you have all these internal customers that need help with their presentations. And so, uh, yeah, I started presentation designing at Square. I spent five years there. I feel really lucky for that, both in that Square, you know, took the chance of, like, taking the kid on the food team and, like, giving him a chance to be a designer. Um, And also the network that I built while I was there. You know, a lot of those clients that you mentioned came from... People I knew at Square, just like every tech company, people work for a year or two, and then they go work at some other startup. And so the the luck of being in Silicon Valley and then all of your network goes and works at these other companies. And then they're like, hey, I don't know that many people that do presentation design. I just know Zach that does it or maybe two people. And so that's how we get a lot of our inbound business.
1: Well, and so tell me, you know, um, that certainly kind of makes sense about how you transition into presentation design and, and your background. But I imagine when you're crafting pitch decks, for example, which is a really big part of what you do, you, you have to have an understanding for the VC ecosystem, the differences between a seed stage and a Series A and a Series B company and what, what venture capitalists might be looking for. How did, how did you get up to speed
0: on all that and really become an expert? Yeah, well, it did start at Square. Uh, I helped Square through four of its fundraising rounds and then uh, the IPO Roadshow as well. A lot of the time I would get looped into a project at Square and didn't know it was for fundraising. I was much younger. I didn't know what these things were. It was like, hey, we need help with this presentation. Can you, oh, can you do this slide for us? It was a lot of those requests coming from, you know, the finance team or the investor relations team. So for a while, I was just kind of making these investor slides without knowing what I was working on. And as I was spending more time at my job and learning about like, oh, it really is all about the storytelling, you know, it's not just a visual treatment of one slide to the next. It really is how you craft these stories. A big component of that is like, who are you telling this story to? And so I started learning like, oh, oh, we're talking to investors. Okay, well, what are they looking for? And asking a lot of those questions to, luckily, I had, you know, this captive audience of an investor relations team, Sarah Fryer, who's now the CEO of Nextdoor. She was the CFO at Square. Um, So I had these people that were experts in the field. I was like asking like, well, why would you want to talk to an investor like that? So that was one big part of it. The other is, you know, sometimes our clients are actually VCs themselves. They're either raising a fund and they need to put together a deck to raise a fund or they're hiring us to help their portfolio companies. And so that's also really nice when you have your clients pretty much telling you what they're looking for when they see these decks come across their desk and they're seeing hundreds and hundreds a year. So they're exposed to a lot of bad decks, too. And so you get, you know, a couple opinionated VCs to come come through and tell you like what they hate seeing and what they're looking for. It really helps us over time like build this deep experience of just kind of what our customers audience wants.
1: Hey, this is Lewis. Here with my Rocketplace co-founder Ben. Hello. And we are talking to you today from inside our very own brand new rocket ship. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes? Ben? Well, it's, it's kind of rented? No! Oh. It wasn't in the marketing budget, Lewis. And beyond that, owning a rocket ship doesn't really explain what Rocketplace is. That we're a curated marketplace of top quality professional service providers. Ugh, I can't believe this. Or that we use intelligent software to pair
0: businesses with world-class firms in everything from finance and accounting to marketing and branding, recruiting, software development, domain name buying, product design and more. Also,
1: it's a podcast. They can't see us. Fine. So now what? Now we enjoy the rocket ship. How long do we have? There's a kid's birthday party at 3. Can I fly it? Uh, No. Can I drive it? No. Can I press any of the buttons? Louis? Just this one? No. Hey, hey, Look! don't do that. Huh? we're moving. Why are we moving? How do you stop this? Louis!
0: Rocket Place, world-class firms just a click away.
1: okay, you're at Square, you've worked from, you know, all these fundraises all the way up through IPO. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how did you go and start your own uh, studio? I mean, was it just kind of out of necessity? You're like, well, we've IPO'd at this point, nothing else to do, I got to go start my own thing. Or, or, you know, what what was the thinking behind that?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So the, the step kind of in between is I moved to Amsterdam, And that's the reason I left Square. And I also started working at Figma. And if you don't know, Figma is a design tool company based in San Francisco. Sure, of course. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just just (laughs) in case. And so part of that was, you know, to move to Amsterdam. Part of that was trying to figure out how to get a visa here. And, you know, there's the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty, which is like a nice, easy way for people that uh, work in many fields, including the tech field, to move to Amsterdam or the Netherlands. And um, so I had to form a company to do that. And my company sponsored my visa. And then Figma cons- you know, was our only client for a while, and it was just me being the only employee. So you know, it was a relationship like I worked at Figma. And after about 14 months, I left Figma to freelance full time. And this was, I had a bunch of inbound requests to do these investor pitch decks from my network. And, uh, you know, it just felt like the right time to just try to do this. And I really expected to do it for like a couple months and then, you know, have to find a job again. So I freelanced for maybe 10 months and was just doing sort of the same work that I'm doing now, but on a much smaller scale by myself. And I met Donna, our content director in Dutch class, and she was working a part-time job, which is very, very common to have part-time work in the Netherlands. And so she was looking for some hours of work, and I was just overwhelmed. I took on way too many clients at the same time and needed help. And so that was really how Zock Studios started was uh, by accident, I would say. Um, I never really left with the idea of I'm going to start an agency but as soon as one person comes on board and you scale up work and then all of a sudden everyone's busy again, then you start bringing on more people. So now we're we're a team of four right now.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about the field of presentation design? You know, you're talking about all these inbound requests you're getting. You know, I, I guess what I'm hearing, and it probably is true, is that, you know, firms need to do this type of work all the time, whether it's fundraising, maybe it's in uh, maybe you're a public company. You have uh, in ongoing investor presentations. I know you work with, you know, Adobe is a big client. They're a public company. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm assuming they were public the whole, you know, you're, they, of course, they were public the whole time. Um, you know, is this is this the type of field that is kind of dominated by outside agencies or or companies building big in-house presentation design teams? Um, you know,
0: wh- tell me more about it and where you see it going. Yeah, there's definitely a couple companies that have internal presentation design teams. Most notably is Apple. They sort of have a team dedicated to making and producing their giant keynotes. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, um, companies have, uh, usually every employee has presentation software on their computer, right? And sometimes you luck out and you've got someone, you know, over here in, Finance and strategy that's just really good at putting your decks together. Uh, Other times, you turn to your internal resources of maybe your marketing designers or a communication designer, and it's sort of like another thing that they do. Um, As far as actual presentation designers, I know of about a hundred of them. There's a Slack group I was added to like two years ago that's there's just about a hundred of us. Um, A lot of them do work at large companies. You know, there's someone that's you know, producing for some of the bigger known conferences that you hear about that run every year at these large public tech companies. Uh, But outside of that, like, I don't see every company having its own presentation design team in-house. I would love to dive into some of the challenges.
1: And, you know, one challenge I'm trying to think of is, okay, it's like you work for Adobe, Square, Nextdoor, Figma. I mean, gosh, it's almost like it feels like it'd be easy to produce a presentation for them. They have so much content. Their products are beautiful. They already they have a team of designers that already work for them. Well, one is that even true? And then two, what if you meet a you know you say you work for like VC firms? You know you must meet firms that like they send you over last year's presentation. It's this awful PowerPoint. How, is that more of a challenge than with the
0: with the? The company's like an Adobe or a Figma, or I don't know, you tell me. I think the smaller the company, or if it's individual VCs and angels, the, it's always a time constraint. It's always like, I need this done yesterday. They, we really don't have time for it. And those are that's usually what makes the work the hardest. Uh, when you have companies like Adobe, they, they generally have a little bit more long-term planning happening, just I'm sure you know the large companies do. They've got their quarterly planning and their OKRs or whatever they're doing. So they have like a little bit further look into the future. And that might be a little slower about releasing things. So they can, they can plan ahead a little bit. But a VC or, or a startup, someone seed round, you know, they have an investor that reaches out to them sometimes. And it's like, I want in on this. Send me your deck. And I think that's probably like the bigger of the challenges that we face.
1: Tell me about some of the challenges in just in st- starting your own studio. It Sounds like you had a lot of good connections from your previous work experience and you were getting tons of inbound interest. So it didn- doesn't sound like clients were an issue, but what have been the challenges in, in running your own studio? Uh,
0: yeah. So uh, especially early on was just taking on too much work at the same time, just saying yes to every project that came along. I think the other big challenge is just living in a different country Um, A lot of our clients are based in the United States, primarily in the Bay Area still. I thought that starting my own business and working by myself, I'd be really good at some of the just running your business things. But doing accounting when you have to take into consideration, you know, different currencies, uh, different tax rates, depending on where people are based. That's a huge challenge I really didn't expect. And then the time zone differences, too. We're plus nine hours from San Francisco and a lot of my clients are like I want to get on a call right now. And so that's that's also been a challenge. It's just like time zone/accounting and communication things that happen of being in a different country than your clients.
1: Hey, do you like our show? I do too. If you want to support the Startup Stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there too. I'd love to transition to, you know, you giving advice to other companies out there. Presentation design, uh, pitch deck design is, is something that uh, we do get requested on Rocketplace. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that you'd be like, yes, yeah, send them all to me. But yeah, I do get know, that, as, yeah. yeah, as a company is thinking about maybe going out for their next fundraise, um, when, you know, what are the types of things, like, when would you recommend a company working with a firm like yourself? Um, what are the things that they should be asking when meeting, um, agencies like yours, uh, in order to evaluate, like, is this really
0: the right fit for, for me and my company? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, trying to understand a little bit of the industries that they've worked with before. We've we've worked with some industries acro- sort of across the spectrum and healthcare, farm tech, sort of everything you can think of, which has been really nice. I think when we get an inbound request, it's sort of like, do you understand our business? Um, because a lot of the times with early stage companies, they're still trying to learn how to tell their story. Again, something that we work with and being able to really understand the work that is being pitched is really important because your presentation designer has to sort of understand the story to make it all come together. And so during that initial inbound conversation, it's like, this is what we do. Does that make sense to you? Is probably like a really great starting place.
1: Are there things that you wish that companies knew maybe before they uh, contact you or, or work with you? Like, they're just like, we do this, but not
0: this, or there's common misconceptions. I mean, I would come back to the timing thing. A lot of people just think, I can put together a PowerPoint deck in a week. Why can't you do that? You specialize in this. You should be able to do that. But it, it's sort of like putting together a really good pitch should take time. And you really well, want... So to- what
1: type of time do you recommend? How, how, <laughs> how far in advance should they be, should companies be working on this?
0: I always say the more the better. But I would, I would say yeah. like for me personally, I like more than two weeks. Anything above that is really nice. But anything less than two weeks, you really always end up going over two weeks anyway. You're like, hey, our first conversation with our VC is in a week and a half. It's like, great, we can get you something done by then. But always it's like they finish it and then they want to add a couple more slides after they've had yeah. that initial conversation. So, yeah. yeah.
1: There's, there's kind of that iteration of like making it better, tweaking the story. Yeah, of course, that makes that makes sense.
0: And, and I think that one thing that we get a lot is a lot of VCs always feel like they want to give something when they don't give money. So when they're like, oh, sorry, we're not going to, you know, invest, they want to share their thoughts of the deck. So they always are like, well, you know, I'm I'm sorry, we're not going to move forward, but you should add a slide on this. And so that's part of the process too, is the deck really, like you said, is iterative after, after it's done. It's not really done.
1: Can you can you give us an example of a client you had that you know, might have been particularly challenging, but ultimately, you know, what that challenge was, how you worked through it and, and how
0: you're you know, really proud of of that outcome? Yeah, I mean, this might sound like an obvious one of like, who can you think of that's a challenging personality? But I worked with Elon Musk on a SpaceX presentation and I can't really talk- <laughs> I'm so despite whatever challenges of his personality, I got to tell you, I'm so jealous right that sounds awesome um yeah, yeah it I, it's uh he's he's a very interesting person and um i he's he's very demanding as you can imagine from just his public persona he has very high expectations for the people he works with so uh it was always like the best work you can pull off as quickly as possible available all the time it was just like very high paced what you would expect him to be like is he is like that. He's very intense and really has high standards. So um, it was a very challenging project, but the result was awesome.
1: And, and so and this could be more general. Um, how do you measure success when you're working with clients? I mean, is it just
0: dollars raised or or how do you think about success? So the most important part of a presentation, uh, aside from like the story, but as like a concrete deliverable, is that the person presenting it feels confident. It's really what you're doing is building something that someone can be confident talking in front of. A little bit different now that most of these pitches are happening over Zoom, but, you know, the person has to feel confident. So for us, it's like the founder or CEO or founding team member that is giving these pitches is really happy with the deck. They're like, great, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So, And that's one of those elements that makes it kind of fun is you're not just building a deck off, here's the story and here's the visual design, it's done. It's also like, is this this person's style of storytelling? And so we have to like explore that a little bit too as we're exploring the company.
1: You know, I, I didn't even realize that. So are you, I mean, of course it makes sense now that you say it. And I'm wondering, are you also working with the founders? It's like, okay, here's the presentation. Now think about, you know, work, work on this for a day and I want you to come back to me and pitch it to me. And are you are you then
0: giving feedback? to? Is it a whole, is it kind of the full service process or is it just deck design? I would say like probably 90% of the time we're doing the story in deck design, we do help coach a little bit and along the way even if they haven't asked us to you know like hey let's do a pitch practice together you know we'll be implying a little bit of like oh i really imagine you talking about this when you have this slide up and some of those like tips that we can give we just sneak them in as sort of like this is just good practice um yeah yeah i think it it's it's definitely like one of those things where if someone came to us and they're like i just need help saying this confidently, we're there. But as you know, most CEOs or founders kind of feel like they have it down and are very confident with their own skills. We love to hear ourselves talk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's why we all have podcasts. (laughs) It's
0: true. (laughs)
1: Okay. You know, I'd love to kind of move on to the trends you're seeing. You know, we've obviously seen an enormous shift to remote. You, uh, you, Your company's been remote the whole time. Um, But like, you know, what, what shifts have you seen in presentation design, you know, since you've started this and then, and then even in just like the last, you know, 2021, how's 2021 different than 2020? I mean, what what are you seeing out there? What's changing? Yeah.
0: A a ton of stuff actually. (laughs) So just general good practice advice pandemic or not, uh, was to have maybe two presentations One that's a little bit more content-dense, that is the leave-behind or the send-ahead. And one that's a little bit more visual-focused, that's the one you stand in front of and present. Now, a lot of these conversations are no longer happening in person. And so as we move to Zoom, I feel like that advice is still pretty good. You don't want someone reading your slide instead of listening to you. But we have seen that because the your audience, the VCs and investors are sitting there looking at their screen instead of maybe at a, you know, a projector screen on the other side of the room, the design has shifted a little bit. We can go a little bit smaller in font size. We can stick a couple more things in there. Um, We've started experimenting with taking the same deck and using it. Well, and that's, that's sort of like a consequence of timeline. Like I said, it's ideal to have two presentations, but that does take more time, so there's always that compromise presentation that's it's a little bit more content-dense than it should be, but it's also not too content-dense. So we started integrating that idea and doing like a, a one-pager at the beginning of the deck that isn't presented to, but when the person receives the PDF, it's in there and has that summary, that really dense information slide. Um... From 2020 to 2021, well, first off, the pandemic, I, I'm sure you've heard this a lot with a lot of people that you've talked to. At the end of March through May, sort of all the work dried up. We had all these great projects. And then, literally, for all of April and May, we just had Nextdoor, which is one of our clients. We're super, super lucky to have them. We do um, non fundraise projects with them, you know, sort of support them as they have offices all over the world. They need some design help in the netherlands you know we're based here so and let's hit the pause button just for one second i mean were you thinking to yourself
1: oh my gosh you know we focus on the fundraising process and no one's fundraising anymore you know what are we going to do for a business did you did you
0: consider furloughing people or how did how did you deal with deal with that yeah there was a lot of panic i had just brought on team members so January last year was the first person on my team by the pandemic. I had two people already, I, you know, and I was seeing my friends on Twitter, uh, people in the United States, the employment unemployment rate was skyrocketing. I was like, I can't be one of those people that like ruins someone's life at the beginning of a pandemic. So I was like, do whatever you can, not to have to lay off people. And it, like I was saying next door is I'm just super lucky that we still work with them because they really were the only people that stood by us that whole time. And it's, it was awesome. But then it, I,
1: I, I mean, clearly things changed. So yes. How long did it take for things to really start changing
0: for you? Uh, I would say by June, things started picking back up. And by the fall I brought, I, you know, by then I would brought on another person. We, it was so busy for us in the fall. And I think that there's a symptom of a couple things, one, people are at home now, and they're either they have some distance for their job from their job, and they realize that it's not what they want to be doing. They want to start their own company. Or there's all these new opportunities for companies. I mean, you've seen all of these companies pop up that serve remote work that exist for uh, a healthcare system that's overburdened. So there's all these new companies also. And so... It was a little bit of both of those things are probably what I would say is the huge uptick, and then I also think a lot of investors were looking for more places to put money um, once they realized that okay things are things are not as bad as we thought in April. Now I want my money to grow in this unprecedented. We don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. There's an upcoming election. There's all these reasons that investors might want to look to invest in a company. So
1: and and i'd love to understand like tactically ha, ha, like has fundraising changed i mean you know you talked a little bit about smaller font sizes um, <laughs> are are there but i but i'm wondering like are when people are pitching today are there more people because it's all in zoom uh in the room or are there topics that like oh you have to cover like that you're
0: advising founders it's like VCs are obsessed with these topics right now. You got to cover them. Yeah, I mean the probably mostly last year less so much this year is that's another difference is is we had the covid slide. Like how has the Every market, company had a covid slide. Every company basically. had a covid slide and it, it was always like how has the market opportunity changed with covid or how does your potential customer base how how are they affected or um what are the benefits that you can bring to your customers now that COVID exists. So that was like every company had a COVID slide and a lot of companies that were raising again. So the year before they were raising and there wasn't a pandemic. And so it was, how are we pivoting because of COVID? Cause our business model is affected, you know, from everywhere from not at all. It actually benefited from it to, we have to change our business cause our whole thing was in-person meetings. You know, so a lot of that uh, had to be addressed, and a lot of these decks were sort of covering for our business. Kind of fell apart. So let's let's look at our new business and all these awesome opportunities to happen now. And is is the COVID
1: slide still standard, or have we kind of moved away from the COVID slide? We've completely moved
0: on from the COVID slide. Unless okay, it's when health- did we
1: get when did we get rid of it? I'm just wondering.
0: Yeah, that's right. a really. I feel like the turn of the year. It was about twenty twenty one. Really interesting. The all of January, all of our requests were sales decks instead of fundraising decks. We moved kind of. I I didn't see a lot of inbound fundraising in January, and then which I think is cyclical. I think you know a lot of companies do planning around that time, budget planning, all, all the sorts of reasons that January is slow for businesses or different. Um, So now when they came back in February, all the investor decks, there's no COVID slide unless it's a health tech company. And most of those are, we're a new company and we're here to address a specific problem caused by the pandemic. Right.
1: What about, obviously, how both COVID and other international events, Brexit, have have affected companies in different jurisdictions, differently, internationally?
0: You know, what trends are you seeing there that that are that are different across borders yeah so brexit's a huge one actually um i mentioned a lot of our clients are in the bay area that hasn't changed too much but over the past maybe year and a half we've started to get more clients in europe and the first couple months of zoxviews being a team so beginning of last year a lot of that was still in the uk and brexit happened uh it has been happening i would say but it was official at the end of march last year and then it would go into effect the end of last year which it did so a lot of companies the big tech companies moved their offices you know facebook google a bunch of companies were like we're closing our london office we're going to move to dublin we're going to move to amsterdam the startups that we work with all left london i I know there are still startups in London, but so many less, a lot more in Berlin, Uh, Amsterdam, obviously, but not too many of the Amsterdam ones we're working with are the ones that left the UK, but a ton went to Berlin. So we've started working with a lot of German companies um, that were from London, that were working there before Brexit. And, And it's been harder to work with any british company now that brexit's been official because the dutch government like sent me a letter that i had to translate that's like hey we believe you've worked with the uk before here's a list of things you need to think about before you do it again and it's not like you know it's not like here's bullet point one bullet point two it's like links to documents and all in dutch which is you know another struggle of just being and living in another country but yeah it definitely had we have a lot of pause working with UK startups right now, but there's a, a lot less of them than we were working with before.
1: I'm wondering if like, you know, what's the new trend, the thing that you're seeing right now um, that VCs are asking about, your, your clients are coming to you, maybe as you're iterating through fun- the fundraising process. And, you know, I, I don't know that people are uh, constantly um, needing to talk about. What's the, what's the things that you're seeing right now?
0: Yeah, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a, a huge amount of consolidation that's happening in the tech world. Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, they're just buying up companies. And, and that really hasn't changed. But a big thing that VCs are asking our customers are like, what is to stop Amazon from throwing a billion dollars at this and destroying your business in a quarter? Like, w- what's defensible about your business um, that, that makes you so that if Google's competing, you'll be fine. Um, so that's a huge one. And that's something that VCs, I think, have paid attention to for a long time. Uh, even from, like, the early 2000s, there's there was a lot of this, like, conglomeration of, of businesses. But, um, but yeah, definitely right now, it's like, what what's to stop these companies from doing it? Because, as you know, it's just happening all the time right now of Microsoft being like, oh, we can do that. Speaking of acquisitions, right, um, do you
1: have a, do clients come to you and say, oh, we need a a acquisition Um, deck?
0: Is that a thing? I feel like my suspicions are I've worked on a couple, but they never, acquisitions are usually so secretive even more so than fundraising that a lot of times they disguise them and I'll find out, you know, six months later, I'll be like, Oh,
1: it's a fun, it's a fundraising day. Yeah, exactly. Secret. They can't even tell, they can't even tell you, right? Yeah. That's probably true. That's actually, they're super secretive. Um, Okay. You know, last question. If you yourself could go back and give yourself some advice, you know, before you started Sock studios, what what would be the advice
0: you gave yourself? Uh, yeah, this is a great question. One, I would be more thoughtful about branding my own company. I was doing paperwork. <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of branding, we have to talk about what what is, is Zock Studios? Is it just named after you or what, is, what does Zock Studios mean? Yeah, so I, I never personally really like businesses named after the owner. And uh, I just happened to have done it because when I was forming a company to you know, on paper, sponsor my visa, and then I could work for Figma. I was like, okay, I just need to fill this in. And they're like, it just can't be a company that already exists in the Netherlands. So it can be anything. And the Dutch word for soft is Zacht. And it's Z-A-C-H-T. My name is Zach, Z-A-C-H. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like a bilingual pun. I checked with a couple of Dutch friends, like, is this is this weird? Is it funny? Soft Studios kind of, like, sounds okay. So it was really just for paperwork, and I was like, ah, it's clever, ha-ha. And now it's the identity of my agency, and other people work at that company, and so I would probably <laughs> be more thoughtful about that. Um, I'm not- a- I like it. But <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, see, I'm not at the stage where it's like, we need to change it, so I think it's fine. Um, And then I would, you know, I mentioned like accounting. I think I'd also be more thoughtful of the accounting firm that I hire, uh, one that specializes in multinational business. I send invoices to several different countries and doing the paperwork on that is complicated. And yeah, I think I'd be more intentional also of like just working with an accountant that that's what they do already.
1: I mean, shameless Rocketplace plug. We help firms find uh, accountants and accounting firms that do all sorts of things like that and deal with international bookkeeping and taxes uh, all the time. So to all the listeners out there, if you're looking for an accounting firm, uh, check out Rocketplace. But awesome, Zach. you know, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, this was great. I'm. It was really interesting hearing about the fundraising process and your studio and, and how it's all come together. Thank you so
0: much for joining us today. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. And it was a great ad placement that you snuck in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com/podcast. We upload a new episode every week, so if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to The Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you
0: next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.